Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination. Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Whitlow. Today's tale starts with a meeting at Greenwich Palace, a now former royal residence. The date, September 1593. The Fairy Queen of England, Elizabeth I, awaits the arrival of a rival monarch. The two queens have been at loggerheads since 1574, since Elizabeth laid claim to the other's land. One wonders just what was going through Elizabeth's mind in anticipation of this meeting. It's easy to write these two off as an odd couple. One cultured and erudite, the other a swashbuckling adventurer, a warlord from beyond the pale. But it's also very wrong to do so. We to judge these two ladies by their professions, they weren't at all dissimilar. To borrow from Ralph Waldo Emerson, quote, Piracy and war gave place to trade, politics and letters. The warlord to the law lord. The privilege was kept whilst the means of obtaining it were changed. End quote. Elizabeth, of course, was very much the law lord. She didn't need to engage in piracy and war herself. Earlier, rougher ancestors had been the warlord, thuggishly climbing the crooked ladder. From child of warlords to lawlord, Elizabeth I had no need to murder and plunder personally. But through her edicts, a lot of blood was on her hands. Our protagonist? Well, the daughter of a warlord, she too had taken her father's mantle. From a wild, feudal land which required her lordship to be an enforcer at times, she had far less time for banquets, pleasantries, and dressing in posh frocks while someone painted your face with Venetian ceruse. She was lord, enforcer, protector, and occasionally conqueror. And of course it would turn out that they are considerably more in common besides. But more on that later. On this day, Queen Elizabeth I was to meet with Grace O'Malley, the Pirate Queen of Connaught. Grace O'Malley, aka Grania Mali, was born around 1530 to Owen and Maeve Mali. Owen was the Lord of Umhail in Connaught, now County Cork, Ireland. As lord he gave protection to his locals, for which he taxed them. He also earned as a privateer, an occasional merchant. Much of his family's wealth came from being men of violence. In the west of Ireland they were well beyond the pale, the outer region of Dublin then under control by England. In his lifetime though, Owen saw Elizabeth's father, Henry VIII, take more and more Irish land till he had enough land to crown himself King of Ireland in 1542. Grace grew up a witness to the aggressive imperialism of the English, and to a few changes of monarch. Henry VIII died in 1547. His crown passed, first to his nine-year-old son, Edward VI, who died in 1553. From there it passed to Lady Jane Grey, a grasping cousin once removed for nine days, before she was arrested and locked up in the Tower of London. The crown then passed to Henry's eldest daughter, Mary I, known as Bloody Mary for her persecution of the Protestants. When Mary died of ovarian or uterine cancer in 1558, the crown of both nations passed to Elizabeth. Grace's rise to power is quite different from Elizabeth's. 
Owen had an elder son from a previous relationship, Donal Na Piopa. As Donal was the bastard son, the title was always destined to pass to Grace. No doubt this suited Donal just fine. Far from a man of violence, Donal was a well-liked musician who loved nothing more than a sing-along at a local tavern. Grace, on the other hand, lived for adventure. From childhood, she wanted nothing more than to be a pirate like her father. Legend has it young Grace once pled to join a crew of a mercantile trip to Spain, only to be told her long hair would get caught in the ropes. She cut her hair off, embarrassing her father, but leaving no more excuses. As it turned out, she was a natural, and from then on would regularly sail with her father, learning the art of piracy from the master. Age 16, Grace married Donal O'Flaherty, the son of another chieftain. They had their first child together within a year. Compare and contrast to Elizabeth. She may have found love. For one, she was probably lovers of Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester, the son of a guy who put Lady Jane Grey on the throne. But she faced such a tangle of competing factions of the court, it was politically difficult, if not outright dangerous, for Elizabeth to ever marry. Grace had two sons and a daughter, Donald, and retired from swashbuckling for a while. Her life was soon thrown into chaos, however, when Donald was killed fighting the neighbouring Joyce clan over a disputed castle. A distraught Grace took revenge on the Joyces, invading the castle and ousting the clan. In spite of Grace's children and immense talent as a military leader, Donald's titles and land were taken from her and passed to a male cousin of Donald's. She returned to her family with a small army in tow and set up a base on nearby Clare Island. Grace O'Malley returned to piracy, something she later described to Elizabeth as, quote, maintenance by land and sea, end quote. Grace's following years were busy and profitable. She grew her army to 200 fighters, who she put to work fighting both neighbouring chieftains and raiding towns along Scotland's coast. She transported gallo-glasses, Scottish mercenaries, to Ireland when allied chieftains needed extra muscle in their blood feuds. Grace O'Malley was also involved in the resistance movement, who were fighting further English encroachment on Irish lands. One story that makes its way to us. In 1565, a ship ran aground on nearby Atchell Head, in a particularly wicked storm. Though the texts don't state if Grace was acting as a wrecker, having caused the wreck by leaving a horse on the rocks with a lantern around its neck, or just an opportunist, she was soon at the scene, looking to salvage whatever she could. She found one Hugh de Lacey, shipwrecked sailor and son of a Wexford merchant. Grace took Hugh as a lover, she didn't have him for long. Hugh was murdered by the McMahon clan. Enraged, Grace took her bloody revenge on the McMahons, murdering the perpetrators and taking over their castle. Twice unlucky in love, she was at least lucky in piracy. Now controlling a choke point with which she could control all passing ships, she was soon both extremely well-known and extremely wealthy. Another tale tells how Grace chased one rival chieftain to a small island containing just a church and a hermit. When the chieftain took refuge in the church, Grace besieged him, threatening to stay there till he starved to death if need be. The chief dug a tunnel to safety. In another tale, Grace was returning from a raid one night, when she moored up for a breather at the town of Howth near Dublin. 
Running low on provisions and in need of water, she called to the local lord, Sir Lawrence, Earl of Howth. Finding the castle gates locked and sent packing by the porter, with the message, the Earl is dining and not to be disturbed, Grace left, dejected. On her way back to the ship, she came across the Earl's grandson and on a whim, kidnapped the boy. Days later, the distraught Earl arrived in Connaught, willing to pay any price for the boy's return. Grace returned the child, not for money, but for a promise the Earl would always leave his castle gates open to visitors. When he dined, he was always to keep a chair free, just for any passing travellers. His descendants continue this tradition to this day. In 1566, she remarried the chieftain, Richard Burke. While married to Burke, she continued to plunder and freeboot. They soon divorced, but they did have a child together, known as Toby of the Ships, as he was born while Grace was at sea. The legend states that day after giving birth, the ship was boarded by Barbary pirates. These picaroons were shocked to find themselves greeted by an angry, half-naked lady with a musket. It was bad enough they had the audacity to attack her ship at all, but interrupt her while she was breastfeeding? The interlopers fled for their lives. Grace O'Malley's life and the life of the other chieftains took a turn for the worse in 1576. While Henry VIII laid claim to Ireland in 1542, this was largely a nominal act. At the time, he was far too busy bringing Wales, newly acquired, to heel. Henry planned to turn his attentions to Scotland next, but a costly war with France broke out in 1544. Henry put his local ambitions on the back burner. Then he died. Elizabeth I allowed English expansion into Ireland, but only made it a necessity in the wake of a threatening letter from the Pope in 1570. The letter, Pope Pius V's bull Regnans in Excelsis, excommunicated the Queen and urged her peoples to overthrow her, a Protestant, for a God-fearing Catholic. The bull was, essentially, a call to whack the Queen. Elizabeth I started to worry a Catholic nation like Spain could capture Ireland, use the country as a base of operations, then invade England. The court discussed this as early as 1565, as war raged between Spain and the then breakaway state of the Netherlands. Many English mercenaries were involved in the Eighty Years' War. For this alone, England was on the radar of the mighty Spanish Empire. Not having the cash to mount an invasion of Ireland, Elizabeth allowed takeover by mass immigration. Many arrivals were just the kind of tough guys you want to repel a Spanish invasion. But it also meant Ireland was overrun by a whole new class of heavies, happy to run amok and seize whatever they wanted. In 1569, England sent military governor Sir Edward Fitton to Connaught. The chieftains opposed his arrival. Imported thugs were one thing. An occupying force, allegedly there to bring the troublemakers in line, seemed the bigger threat by far. Fitton had a counterpart in Munster, Sir John Perrot. The governors made plans to carve up Grace's kingdom. Many chieftains resisted. The McWilliam of Mayo, a kind of chief of chiefs, the O'Flaherty's, Richard Burke, and the O'Malley's included. The McWilliam died in 1570, and much of Connaught was lost. In 1576, the chieftains all but defeated. English Lord Deputy Sir Henry Sidney arrived in Connaught to make them an offer they couldn't refuse. Stop fighting, 
Pledge allegiance to the crown. Pay tax to the queen. Abide by English laws. Return the gallow glasses to Scotland. Establish an Irish contingent of soldiers, just in case Spain attacks. If the chieftains did all of this, they could keep their titles. Some of the land would be returned. Anyone who kept fighting would be erased. Grace met with Henry Sidney in 1577 and pledged her allegiance to Elizabeth. She also spent some time speaking with Henry's son, the poet Sir Philip Sidney. I couldn't say what she thought of the poet, but Sir Philip thought Grace a remarkable figure. Almost immediately afterwards, Grace broke the law, launching a raid on the Earl of Desmond, a rival chief who sold out early to the English. The raid went badly, and Grace was consequently jailed for 18 months. In 1581, both she and Richard Burke officially pledged fealty to Elizabeth in a ceremony. This may have been the end of our tale, but for the 1584 arrival of a new and particularly sadistic governor, Sir Richard Bingham. Yes, the ancestor to both June's You Choose contestant, John Bingham, Lord Lucan, and the officer responsible for the charge of the Light Brigade. Richard Bingham was determined to eradicate all opposition whatsoever. He saw Grace O'Malley as particularly dangerous. Bingham first stripped Grace of her title. Burke died in 1583, leaving Grace technically a widow. English law stripped widows of their titles in favour of their children. He then went after her children, murdering the eldest son, Owen, and executing two of Richard Burke's sons from previous marriage for treason. He then kidnapped her beloved youngest child, Toby of the Ships. Bingham finally had Grace arrested and charged for treason. Grace's son-in-law offered himself up in Grace's place, which Bingham allowed. Seizing the opportunity, Grace O'Malley loaded up a ship and sailed for London. She no longer had an army to fight Bingham, but she knew Bingham had a boss, a lady who, like her, had made it to the top of the ladder in a system which heavily favoured men. They were of a similar age, for their warlord, lawlord divide. They must have experienced similar trials and tribulations. She might just be willing to talk queen to queen. Which brings us back to the meeting at Greenwich Palace, September 1593. We don't know the specifics of their conversation, though we do know Grace spoke no English, Elizabeth no Gaelic, the two queens spoke at length in Latin. We know Grace arrived dressed up to the nines in a gown worthy of a queen. She caused a scandal when she refused to bow to Elizabeth, and a knife was found on her for her protection. Elizabeth's court was horrified when she took a lace handkerchief from a lady-in-waiting to blow her nose, then disposed of the handkerchief in a lit fireplace. We know she convinced Elizabeth she was a loyal subject who was being terrorised by Bingham. He murdered a family, robbed her of a title, lands, even her extensive herd of cattle. She convincingly argued Bingham was stopping the pursuit of legitimate maritime business and holding her son captive. Elizabeth sided with Grace, ordering Bingham to reinstate Grace's lands and title and release Toby of the ships immediately. Grace, now well into her 60s, did return to piracy, leading to a further conflict with Sir Richard Bingham. Again, Grace returned to see Queen Elizabeth in 1595. This time, Elizabeth removed Bingham from his post. This was far from happy ever after for Connaught. Bingham eventually regained his title. Things would only go from bad to worse for the Irish. 
Grace O'Malley, however, a warrior pirate queen who lived by the sword, lived to a ripe old age, in those times anyway, of 72, and died of natural causes in 1603, the same year that Elizabeth I passed on. Thanks for listening. This has been Tales of History and Imagination. All episodes written by me, Simone Whitlow. Produced and all music, yours truly. Visit the blog historyandimagination.com. Links to social media and liner notes. We have a Facebook and a Twitter, even a Pinterest. We also have a Patreon if you wish to help support the show and keep it going. If you have enjoyed the show, please leave a positive review. We'll be back in two weeks' time for more tales of history and imagination.